we're back with crime and time on the um, child number two is chiming in there she's chiming in there i was gonna say we're back with a current affair well current we, with a k we are here with a current affair <laughs> so we're drinking current affair current affair okay yes ish we're ish drinking it. our drink our drink does not have any current in it it does not have current and <laughs> i'll explain why but so the recipe is two and a quarter ounce absolute current vodka a three quarters ounce of chambord you like shake it shake it in a shaker strain it into what we're using like a small coupe glass or you can use like a regular martini glass and garnish it with a lemon twist so absolute current is a vodka that uses black currant it's a black currant is a really popular swedish berry and absolute current was launched in 1992 and it was a tribute to absolute swedish origin and it was supposed to be called absolute vinbar but since the swedish word for black currant is vinbar it was too confusing for english pronunciation because it would have sounded like wine bar right i've heard of absolute current for sure but vinbar would have made me think huh yeah because vino but like you said on my search for absolute current i struck <laughs> out because apparently it's discontinued right so child number one and i went to a grocery store today to help you with your search for absolute current, like a high-end nice grocery store could we looked through the entire vodka aisle none of the vodkas had current so we thought let's go to the produce man husband used to work for this grocery store's produce department and we were told by the produce man that he has not seen a current in his store for 10 years which makes sense because after you got at while you were at the store and i was at your house <laughs> with child number two i was researching it and found out the black currants are not legally allowed to be grown. Not that they're not like legally, legally allowed to be grown, but you can't have a crop like a, so you cannot do you U.S. Can't Department of Agriculture. Yes, you crop. can't commercially grow black currants yeah. because one of their byproducts like interferes with the white pine, which the logging industry frowns upon. So you can't grow them basically. Yeah. And having a small fruit, vineyard not for wine it's very difficult to grow your crop on a small scale and sell it commercially because of all the hoops you have to jump through so it's not like you can have a small current farm and sell them commercially and you are not allowed to have a large current farm because they will interfere with the white pine yes so cool. this is Throw basically me. vodka and chambord so it's a raspberry martini Woohoo! <laughs> let's try it okay raspberry why did i think cranberry it's not terrible, but it's a lot of vodka, so. Oh, it's a lot of vodka and it's a lot of sweet. Child number one, ice glass. We need the ice. I'm sorry. I know that all of these up drinks that we drink, I should be drinking up. This, this, I don't need the ice for the ice. I need the ice for the sweet. It's too sweet for me. I need the water to cut it. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. I'm, I'm sweet enough. I would like to know... If the current would would have adjusted the sweetness, I'm I. I don't know what current tastes like, so I can't make an opinion on that. Yeah, same. So if you um, have had current, did she get my nice Waterford glass? She didn't. I think I'm getting a pint glass. A pint glass. That's judging from the amount coffee. of ice that I hear going in. 
Well, all you Swedish current lovers, let us know what current let tastes us know. like. Yep, Coors Light pine glass right there. Classy. <laughs> I meant the Waterford glass that I had. That's okay. I don't need Waterford pint glasses just fine. Perfect. Thank you, love. So hopefully the ice will make it a tiny bit less sweet for me so that I can not be overpowered with sugar. Yeah. Okay, who's going first? Do you want to go or do you I'll want to go? go? Okay. Okay. So a few weeks ago, at way, well, no, not a few weeks ago, way back in the beginning of July, we talked to you about the um, bike race. The Tour de France. The Tour de France. And that the Tour de France was started inadvertently because of the... French Revolution? No. That would... Seriously, dude. Oh, wrong I'm, century. Uh, something Dreyfus French. Affair. The fr- something French. Yes, something French. The Dreyfus Affair. Okay. So, Dreyfus Affair. When, you, when we were taught about the Dreyfus Affair in history class, it was like a one-line, blah, 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 falsely accused this guy, later on acquitted him. It's a thing. Barely all I know about it. Right. So much more interesting. And this relates to current... No, it doesn't relate to current. Oh, it's an affair. Affair! Okay. Because <laughs> I was like really wowed for a minute. No, affair, right? Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay, so I did um, a little bit from Wikipedia in search of history by the History Channel. The Dreyfus Affair and Anti-Semitism, AP Euro bit by bit, number 36, History and Britannica, my go-tos. So in 1871, the French lost the Franco-Prussian War to Germany. They were still stinging from that loss 23 years later in 1894. Um, During that loss, they had to surrender a lot of territory and give up 5 billion, pay a fine of 5 billion francs. Now, husband happened to walk in right when I was saying 5 billion francs. And he made a joke about they didn't have to give up five billion Joes, just Franks. (laughs) Dad joke. (laughs) Totally bad. (laughs) But anyway, so this was the total, this was the amount that was collected by France in taxes in total over the time period of two years. This was a crap ton of money. Yeah, it sounds like a crap ton of money. Um. So they were not very happy. They were very mistrustful of the Germans. They had counterintelligence watching the Germans and living, any Germans living in France. They had people in the German embassy in Paris. Marie Beston was a maid inside the embassy, the German embassy, and she was a spy for France. One of her jobs was to empty the German officials' trash, and she would check that trash while she worked. I'm sorry, but... That is like seriously spy 101. Don't let somebody else empty your trash. Right? So Marie is emptying the trash and she at one point finds this letter that had been all torn up and she turned the pieces over to a member of the French army staff, um, Hubert Joseph Henri. Now, a couple of the sources that I found named different people at this point. I am going to stick with Henri. He was named by all of the sources. Some of the sources had him coming in at this point. Some of them had him coming in later. I'm just, it was Henri. If it was somebody else, that's awesome. But Send most me an email. places point to Henri. I'm going with Henri. 
Um, so he put the puzzle back together piece by piece. He was a counterintelligence officer. He was determined to find out who this was. He was an anti-Semite, barely literate, and a complete bully who only had his own career in mind, according to people that have spoken, written about him. So the little memo pointed, gave information about the brand new 120 millimeter cannon that the French embassy had. This was like the top of the line major weapon that they had and they were giving the details to the Germans. Um, the office, the author of the memo used a fake name, Avi, because they're not stupid, by the name of Jacques Dubois. And other documents that were found in the German embassy referred to the French spy as that scoundrel D. That scoundrel. That scoundrel. So the only man in the with the only the only men with this information were people on the general staff. They were the ones that needed to know about the weaponry, mostly working in artillery. And so the only person in who was an artillery officer in the general staff whose last name started with a D was Alfred Dreyfus. Um, Henri was very anxious to make his case, so he looked at the handwriting of the little note with reports that Dreyfus had compared, and he said, hey, this handwriting is sort of close, but he really wanted to get his guy. So, And I, was he a certified handwriting examiner? No. no I'm not surprised. He was a barely literate dude. <laughs> He's like, that H looks like an H. Yes. So he decided Dreyfus was his man. However, Dreyfus didn't fit the profile of a guy that was going to sell secrets to the enemy. He was a happily married man. He lived and breathed France. He was an army officer through and through. That had been his only career. He had several children. He was middle class. He graduated ninth in his class from the military academy. The documentary that I watched kept referring to the schools because l'école is school in French. So they kept saying let a coal. And I went to a winery in Walla Walla years ago that was in an old school building and they called it let a coal. And oh, so cool. every time I'd hear it, it just made me smile because I love my Walla Walla family. Um, so he was ninth in his class. He was had no debt. But what did make him look like a spy was the fact that he was a Jew. <gasps> you can't do that. You can't do that. So, Dreyfus thought of himself as a Frenchman first and then a Jew, but Henri only saw what he wanted to see. Um, France had been the first nation to grant Jewish people citizenship in Europe, but anti-Semitism was still rampant and it was on the rise, and it only increased, anti-Semitism increased as nationalism began to take hold. So, this is the 1890s, and all of the little European nations are ramping up their nationalistic feelings because we know what's going to happen pretty soon. WW1. No, the Great War. It's not WW1 yet. Well, I I mean, I'm just for our younger viewers, I'm yes, calling it WW1. It was referred to as the Great War prior to WW2. But yeah, so pretty soon some anarchist is going to shoot Archduke Franz Ferdinand on March 5th. On March 5th. My birthday, by the way. 
seriously? Mm-hmm. You were born on the anniversary of the date that started World War One, and I was born on the anniversary of the date that ended World War Two. I'm pretty sure. Let me Google it, though, because now I'm worried that I'm going to be wrong. Okay, now I was born on the anniversary of D-Day, and my father mentions it every birthday. He Arch was a Vietnam Duke, vet. France for is a Vietnam vet. Do-do-do. When was he shot? Ice. Ice clinking needs to be our transition music. <laughs> Assassination. Is that March 5th? I'm still scrolling because <laughs> Wikipedia has a lot of stuff. This says June 28th. That's not March 5th. Why do I remember March 5th? Because you just want to be cool like me and have a birthday that's the anniversary of a major war event. Someone tell me what happened on March 5th related to Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and I will mail you some stickers. Cool. Crimeatimeotr at gmail.com. There you go. So, nationalism is becoming a thing. On October 19th, 1894, um, Alfred Dreyfus was told to report to the Army Chief uh, Staff in civilian clothes. Ooh, they later accused bad. him. They later accused him of dressing bourgeoisie, which was a big thing to be accused of back then, for wearing his civilian clothes, even though they asked him to wear his civilian clothes. But they weren't the right civilian clothes, or it was just because they he, set him up. Because he showed up in civilian clothes. Yes, they set him up. They were told. They, oh, just wait. The setup gets worse. So they hand him a piece of paper and they say, write this. He has no idea what it is. It's They want him to write a letter that contains many of the same words as the memo. As soon as he finishes <gasps> writing, like don't even look at it. Don't even have handwriting expert work. Look, look at it. He writes it. They pick it up. They arrest him on the spot. Um, they put him, they drag him off to jail. He's literally kicking, screaming, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's protesting his innocence all the way. On October 15th, two days later, that was on the 19th, blah, blah. Well, two days later from whatever day this actually happened. Yeah, I have no idea. Because uh, history. Because history, and you find multiple sources with multiple things. These two dates came from different sources, but he was being interrogated at some point, and one of the officers that was doing the interrogation placed a handgun on the table in front of him. Okay. As in, we have you dead to right, son. Yeah. Why don't you just do the honorable thing? Here you go. Ooh. Yeah. Slimy. Gross. They just wanted to wrap it up with a bow. He was held for two weeks while they worked to build a case. They told his wife that he had been arrested. And they told her, if you tell a soul about this, you will never see your husband again. So she she was quiet, but word got out. Um, eventually, word of the re- the arrest leaks out. Many of the anti-Semitic papers in France went crazy with the story. Quote, a, some of the headlines were, a Jewish traitor's in our midst. They were all over. The La Libre Parole on 10-29-1894 published a, a Jewish traitor's in our midst. At his court-martial, they had three handwriting experts that said his writing, quote, resembled that of the note. One one of the handwriting experts actually put forth a theory that it didn't look, his handwriting didn't look exactly like the note because he was auto-forging his own writing. He was trying to write so that it didn't look like his own writing. 
And that was his theory as to why that was his writing. Nice theory, but... Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they needed this conviction. That was just what they needed to do. The statistics section of the military compiled a secret dossier that they gave the judges to see. And in this secret dossier that they, quote unquote, compiled, not created, compiled, quotes, it had all kinds of documents alleging to Dreyfus's guilt. One, several of the documents alleged to a homosexual affair, but this entire dossier was kept completely secret. Dreyfus hired a great defense attorney. There were dozens of witnesses that stated he was a fabulous soldier, a terrific guy, devoted Frenchman, but that was not enough. And the fake dossier in secret court on December 22nd, 1894, convicted him unanimously by seven judges. Wow. Yeah. Two- this is just so contrived. Like, it's making me so feel so bad for Dreyfus. Like, he got, like, picked out because his last name started with a D. And if it's religion. Yeah. It gets worse. Ugh. It gets worse. This dossier, completely and totally forged. This is made yuckier up. than this cocktail. Yuckier than this cocktail. This cocktail's not good. I kind of want to switch to beer. This is worse. Um, it was, it's completely made up, forgeries, non-existent documents, the whole nine yards. It was bad, bad, bad. And it gets worse. So um, within two weeks, he's convicted, he's convicted unanimously. And within two weeks on January 5th, 1895, in the military school that he graduated from, ninth in his class, he is marched out to the square he is publicly publicly humiliated. They literally tear the patches off of his uniform in front of the crowd, which is screaming, death to the traitor, death to the Jew, while they're pulling oh. his patches off. His, the officer in front of him takes his sword out of his scabbard, snaps it across his knee, and throws it on the ground. The whole time Dreyfus is shouting his innocence, he said, innocent, innocent, viva la France, long live the army, as he's being drug away in a bare uniform without his sword. This is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Um, Captain Lebron Renault claimed that on the way to the school, Dreyfus confessed to him in the van. But he later recounted that and admitted that he made it up just to get attention and his name in the paper. Oh my God, what an a-hole. Yeah, because Dreyfus never admitted guilt. He was not guilty. No, he. W- I believe that he 100% was not guilty. For sure. So they held him in solitary confinement before he was going to be tr- sentenced and transferred. He was allowed to visit his wife twice during this month-long captivity. Um, they were placed in a very long room with him on one end her on the other and the jailer in the middle and that was the only way they got to visit with each other twice in a month before he sent off that's sad very very sad he was sentenced to devil's island french guiana oh that sounds terrible little bitty tiny island off of this is not what we were taught about the driver's fair in, in literally in all of our history classes it was two sentences but like french guiana sounds terrible now yes it was, the Devil's Island was a tiny little island off of French That's Guiana. where Jonestown happened. It's not pretty. No, not pretty. Not pretty. 
the ship on the ship that left France, he was kept in an open air cell. Now this is December that they're leaving in France. Very cold. So they're sailing the Atlantic in December. He's in an open air cell. Open air cell. I mean, they they're going south, so it gets warm very quickly within a few days. But those few days had to be hell. And then he goes to the absolute opposite. Absolute opposite. So all of the bad stuff that comes with the warm climate. There was scorpions. There were spiders the size of your fist. Obviously malaria. Just a bad place to be. I would be like, malaria, take me away. (laughs) Bad place to be now when we have doors and air conditioning. This is the 1890s. So Devil's Island, the place that they used to send him, that they sent him prior to it becoming a prison island, it was a leper colony. And it was decided that the conditions were too harsh for the lepers. So we'll put prisoners there. So they moved the lepers off and put prisoners there. Especially one that is being framed for like... Completely. So it's the weather. It's typically in the high 90s very humid it rained constantly in the spring pretty much there was a rainstorm from april to june and then again there would be another rainstorm from november to january so it rained all the time and it was freaking hot freaking hot there were the seas around the area were swift and deadly rocks everywhere they the waves jostled you every which way and if for some by chance you were able to get through the choppiness of the sea, it was full of sharks. So there's, you're not escaping. Lovely. Yeah, you're, you're. It makes Alcatraz look like a resort hotel. Yes, you're on Devil's Island. You're on Devil's Island. He got there on April 14th of 1895. He was given a single room square hut to live in. Um, he had one door and it opened to a guard's quarters that he had to go through to get to his exercise yard. They rotated his guard every two hours so that the guard on duty was always fresh and not tired and was able to give his 100% attention to Dreyfus. Oh. Every two hours. So he was particularly like a point of attention. Yes. We are going to take care of this man completely. So like whereas other people might have had guards that were there for like eight 10 right. hours. Right. Which, if, if the guard is there for eight or 10 hours, it gives you lots of opportunity. They're going to get tired. They need they a may, break. They, they have need to a pee. break. They, right. Or you could just develop a rapport with them. Or, or that. Because you yeah. see them every day for eight hours a day. Yeah. This was constantly being rotated in and out. They did not want him to have any friends. They did not want him to have any chance to slip anything. They were out to get him. Um, so he had his, his exercise yard was a rectangle that was surrounded by a formidable fence. Um, he was given a few books and a little bit of writing paper. They kept a lamp in his hut burning 24 hours a day. He was not allowed to sleep in the dark. He, this lamp was on all the time. I think that's pretty calm. I mean, from what I... Why? I don't understand. This drink is so gross. I think just for supervision reasons they don't want it to be totally dark nowadays but however (laughs) she she tapped out i did i can't do it yeah um yeah can you imagine like my i have to have dark to sleep i used to work shift work as you might know yes um so my 
I have sliding sliding glass doors in my bedroom and a window, and I have like it's blacked out from when I used to work night shift, and yeah. I I love it like that because I go to bed early. Like you know, I like yes. to go to bed early. Me too. So this time of year, particularly, or like you know, in the heat of the summer, it's light until nine fifteen. Yeah, and sometimes I like to go to bed before that, and I love that my room is black because yeah. I can just lay down and I go to sleep. I cannot. And sleep deprivation does crazy shit to your brain. Yes. I've been there. I think it was a tactic. I think they did it on purpose. Um, In one letter that he wrote to his wife, it says, he describes his daily routine. I rise at daybreak and light my fire. I put dry vegetables on my fire and afterwards make my bed and clean my chamber. At 8 o'clock, they bring me the day's rations I finish cooking the dry vegetables, and on meat days, I place this on the fire. Next, I read, work, dream, and most of all, suffer. When the heat has diminished, I cut my wood, draw water from the well, and wash my linen. At six, I eat the cold remains of my lunch, and then I am locked up for the night. That's... Awful. So they're not even providing for him. They're yeah, not even to, giving him the basic routines of life. He has to do it all himself. Occasionally he gets meat day. Yeah. Yeah. That's his like Christmas. Mm-hmm. So his family does not give up hope back in France. His brother Matu left his business and dedicated himself full time to helping his brother. He talked to people. He asked questions. He did not give up. Matu worked and worked and worked. So Lieutenant Colonel... Henri Georges Picard was Jean Luc Picard. No, Henri Georges was named um, the new head of the army's counterintelligence unit. Now he was a very devoted Catholic anti-Semite, but what he hated more than Jewish people was not getting to the bottom of something. <gasps> Not having a satisfactory so, answer. So in this story, he's a good good anti-Semite? He's a good anti-Semite. <laughs> he's not a good anti-Semite. He's a meticulous anti-Semite. So, but he's a good, he's a hero of the story. He's a very unlikely hero of the story. So um, he starts following and evaluating some of the evidence. He's not satisfied with the partial answer that he got. He's not satisfied with, we found this letter and it looks sort of like it's handwriting because he was trying not to write like himself. So he decides that he needs to get a complete answer and he is going to do that whether he has to get the answer from legal or illegal means. He wants the truth. Um, In March of 1896, he was still in contact with his maid. So this same maid delivered him more torn up documents. Um, to he This time she delivered them to Picard. And one of them was an unsent telegram to Major Walston Esterhousey. And this telegram says, hey, can you give me more of a detailed explanation about what you were talking about the other day? <gasps> oh. So, Picard, yes, Picard is like, hmm, I wonder why a French military officer was talking to a German embassy official the other day. And what does he want more details on? So he starts picking at that little thread. 
and he's going to pick and pick and pick at that thread till things unravel. station. Yeah. So he, oh, that reminds me. I wanted to do a correction. Correction corner. We can't call it correction corner. We need something else. I had an idea. Correction. Error erection. Error. (laughs) Do not say error erection. Um, No, I had an idea. Error elevator. Error elevator. (laughs) Correction. Counter. Correction counter. Let's step up to the correction. Corrections bar. Come to the corrections bar. I need to tell you something. (laughs) Okay, Sock it to me. Sock it to you. So, corrections bar. Maybe we talked about this already. I don't know. The um, fact that the wall didn't fall in 1989, it actually fell in 1991. Oh, okay. Did yeah. we talk about that already? No. Yeah, no. Okay. So, I said in a previous podcast that the wall fell in 1989. The Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall. Because I literally remember sitting in class, hearing about the wall falling in English class, and we had a, for, like I said, we had a foreign exchange student from Yugoslavia who had to go home. And I graduated in 1990. So in order for that to have happened, the wall had to have fallen in 1989. Well, it must have been something else because the actual wall didn't actually fall until 1991 when I would have been in college, not high school. Which is interesting because my story that you'll hear later uh-huh. um, has one tiny little tidbit that refers to that event, but not like... Not wholly. Uh-huh. It just like kind of sideline refers to it. Uh-huh. Okay. For future reference, when we have to do a correction, because it's the correction bar, we should have to do a shot. Step up to the shot bar. Step up to the shot bar. We're not going to do that right now because I don't have anything that I would really want to take a shot of, I don't no. think. But for future reference, I think if we have to make a correction, we have to take a shot. Fair? Shot, 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 shot. shot. <laughs> Okay, step up to the correction bar. Okay, well, we, you owe me Put a, a shot. Put a pin in it. Yep, put a pin in it. I'll totally give you a shot. So, Esther Housie. Dude. He wants to know what he's talking about. So, Esther Housie was what more of you would think of when you think of a guy who might be a spy. He is a gambler. He's always looking for his next big score, easy money. He has tons of mistresses all over France. And he has a very spendthrift, money-hungry wife. Oh, he's he's like an archetype. Kind of. He's the anti-Dreyfus. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. So um, Picard has him followed. And while he is having him followed, within that one week, Esther Housie visits the German embassy twice. Mm. I know, it's so suspicious. So upon further investigation, Picard discovers that some of the mail that was going to Esther Housie's house matched the writing of the memo that was used to convict Dreyfus. But it actually matches. Actually matches. Like it was not auto forgery. It was an actual match. So he reports all of this information to the military powers that be in September of 1896. Now, poor Picard has no idea that the people that he's reporting all of this to are the same said people that fabricated the case against Dreyfus in the first place. So it goes nowhere. No, it goes somewhere. Oh, it does. It goes to Tunisia where they transferred Picard. Mm. 
Bye, dude. Poor Picard. Yeah. He's a good soldier, so he just drops it at that. He goes where he's told. He does what he's told, except he takes all of the evidence that he's compiled and he puts it in a package and he gives it to his lawyer. And he says, in case something happens to me, you set this loose. I hope Turn I... Turn this in. Take it directly to the fr- the French president. I hope I never have the occasion to do something like that, but I hope that if I do have the occasion that I remember to do it. Because it would be just <laughs> like me to like forget to put it in the envelope. Okay. I had some friends who were working for kind of a shady dude. And at one point they came to me and they said, we've got some documents about this dude, how he's shaving money. He's paying people cash. He's shaving money off this. He's shaving money off that. We're afraid to store the documents at our house because he knows us. Can we store the documents here? And if something were to happen to us, would you turn them in? Was he a businessman in the town that we know? He was a bar owner in the that's, town that That's we what know. I meant by yes. that. <laughs> and they had never given me the envelope of stuff, but I was kind of like, holy crap, what do I do? <laughs> Like, I am a simple teacher. I'm not into espionage. I don't Mm. want this responsibility. And ironically, they said all this standing directly over my Alexa. Oh, so so this is recent. Well, this is recent. Yeah, but they've never given it to me. But anyway. But in our town, paying people cash and laundering money is not anything that's real and newsworthy. No. It's it's a cash business. It's a cash town. It's a bar town. It's a bar town, yeah. So anyway, deliver this to the president of France should I turn up dead in Tunisia. So meanwhile, the newspapers at the end of 1896 started reporting that Dreyfus had escaped Devil's Island. But that's not true. It's not true. Um, his brother, Matu place the story in the paper to keep his brother's name in the paper. Oh. Okay. So, awesome job. Matu's doing a great job keeping people interested in him. However, back on Devil's Island, Dreyfus is not allowed, in Alfred, Dreyfus is not allowed any access to newspapers, but suddenly... His punishments get harsher. His conditions get harsher. And he has harsher. no idea why. No clue why. They start shackling him to his bed at night with iron cuffs. They built a second fence around his hut. So now when he his... hadn't even tried to escape. No. So he had a little tiny view that he could see the ocean. They built a fence around it. So he, he is he... like the most reluctant, like poor, yeah, guy. unassuming, hardcore criminal ever. Hmm. His exercise yard, he looks at fence. His house, he looks at fence. He's shackled to his bed. It's horrible. And he has no clue why. Just all of a sudden, one day, they start doing this. So back in France, the ploy um, to keep his brother's name in the paper is having the desired effect. But it also has the effect of polarizing France. Like I was talking about, the nationalistic movement was uh-huh. becoming popular. You, people were literally either anti-Dreyfus or pro-Dreyfus. Um, they actually had names for themselves. They were the um, Dreyfusards that were the pro-Dreyfus and the anti-Dreyfusards who were the anti-Dreyfuses. It literally got crazy. There are riots all over the nation over pro-Dreyfus, anti-Dreyfus. People are killed over this issue. Literally nobody talks about this. No. 
And it was this massive, massive thing. So three years after his conviction, Mathieu published some information that he'd been gathering. He also noticed about Esther Housie and the army had, he said, the army's known about all this all along. He had different officers handwriting matched. He had different officers handwriting matched with the things that were used to convict his brother. He publicly accused Esther Housie. People were absolutely enraged that this Jewish man, this Matu Dreyfus, was accusing Esther Housie and these big military leaders. Um, Esther Housie says, give me a court-martial. Let me prove my innocence. So they give him a court-martial and they prove his innocence because if they admitted that he did it or they let anyone know that he could have possibly done it or Dreyfus could not have possibly done it, it would completely destroy the political system. It was more than, um, it only took a week to acquit Esther Housie in this sham of a court-martial. Um, the public is completely incensed toward Dreyfus and by association, the Jews. The political cartoons of the day, one of the political cartoons that I saw showed this stereotypical archetype Jewish man with this huge big nose, little tiny eyes, horn rim glasses, little tiny recessed chin. It was disgusting. And that was, they were printed all over the country. Just these horrible, horrible images of the archetype Jewish villain for this poor little sweet man. I'm shaking my head right now. I know, it's ridiculous. The French military officers who, who had framed Dreyfus the thought, we're good now. We we know the guy who actually did it. He was acquitted. Everything is fine. But just a couple of days after the acquittal of Esterhousy, a French novelist named Emile Zola joins the Dreyfusards, and he writes an Emile article. Emile Zola, like he's a novel. He he's a, a novelist. Novel. Yeah. Yes, several novels. He writes a letter that he publishes in the newspaper entitled Je Accuse. Mm. So you've heard that. Mm. Je Accuse. And it went on, I accuse blah, blah, blah. I accuse blah, blah, blah. I accuse blah, blah, blah. And he just calls it out. He's printing all of this stuff about very powerful men. And this was, you know how we know, you and I can both sit here and recite where we were when the first space shuttle explode, exploded. We can talk about where we were when Princess Diana was killed, uh -huh. where we were when on 9-11, all of that. This was that generation's where were you when? Yeah. Where were you when you first read J. Accuse? And it was just a massive cultural event. He was calling out the big shots by name, huge deal for wrongly convicting Dreyfus. And not only wrongly convicting Dreyfus, but misleading and lying to the public. You are, he's saying, you're a public official. We we put you in power and you lied to us. And see, that's where and when journalism was effective. Yes. And it did something. It yes. changed something. And that's why they used to call this. it the fourth estate because it actually used to be a mover and a shaper of history. Yes. He, he by writing this editorial, he was shaping history for yes. sure. Well, he did. 
completely divides the issue or the nation completely divides everything riots people still are dying people it's completely divided the government has zola arrested for a libel and they convicted him however he flees to england the world is watching now everybody's eyes are on paris because zola brought this issue out he he put the world he put france on notice hey everybody's watching you now and so france has to be very careful they had to deal with this so they decided to take the officers that were involved and start doing some more digging so they look at the original quote-unquote documents that had named dreyfus guilty and suddenly Henri found another document. Oh, interesting. Now, this document was also torn up in pieces, and the top of it was a heading that belonged to the office that Dreyfus held, and the bottom of it had his signature, and in the middle, it talked about all of this stuff about how he um, had done all this and blah, 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 and... It's, it's a very incriminating piece of paper. Well, instead of submitting this puzzle that he had found for evidence, he took a picture of it and submitted that. Well, what Henri had actually done is he took a piece of paper that had Dreyfus's office heading and Dreyfus's name at the bottom. With the text in the middle that was cut out? And yes, and then he took text from another document that he had written or forged, and he ripped the papers in such a way so that they looked like they fit together. So early photoshopping, basically. Kind of. He's literally cutting and pasting. Yeah. So this is what he had done. And because he only submitted the photograph, it was difficult to determine that. Well, so the, the Minister of War, which was Galfroy Colignac, he testified to Parliament that he'd reviewed all the evidence and he believed everything and everything was just fine and all was, was fine. They still, there, there was no conspiracy to convict Dreyfus. It's still fine. He's, he trusts all of the evidence. However, the... Picard, the guy, he doesn't quite trust this. So he sends one of his secretaries to review all of the evidence. And this secretary gets his hands on the letter that had been pasted together. And he has orders to find a solution by morning. So he's working all through the night. So he's reading this letter by candlelight. And he notices in this letter that he's reading by candlelight that the top part of the page has little lines through the paper oh like the grain of the papers yes that don't match up to the middle part of the page the middle part of the page has much finer lines more closely packed together than the top and the bottom does well good for him yes so he takes this to the court and um Henri finally says okay Okay. I faked it. I faked that. Dreyfus is still guilty. I just wanted to make sure that he was really, really guilty. I faked this document. I just faked this one thing. Just this one thing. Yeah. So they they put him in prison. And he was about to be tried for his crime. But he was found suicided. <gasps> 
suicided yes is so, that a thing you can be found yes in france it is because the suicided in france at this time was a term that was used when a person appears to have committed suicide but it might not be that wow yeah but that's that's not how it works it's murder they just made it look like suicide or it's suicide they don't know and they don't care. Yeah, but don't, he's dead. don't call it the thing that you don't know for sure it is. Right. At least call it a homicide. But it's a homicide-ish. Because he may have committed suicide. He slit his, well, his throat was slit. Whether he slit it or someone else did, they don't know. It's problematic. Yes. So, previous he's, podcast. So he's suicided. He's suicided. You could also say that. Um, Lewis, Meriwether Lewis was suicided. Meriwether, yeah. Because Mary no Weather, one knows. Nobody knows. Previous podcast. Go listen, folks. Um, so, Henri is suicided. Um, on, <laughs> on June 3rd of 1899, the French High Court annuls Dreyfus's verdict. Okay, so what does annuls a verdict mean? We're going to strike it from the record and we're going to do it over. It is so he's like still a, on trial. Oh yeah. It's like a mistrial. Okay. Okay. So they return him to France from Devil's Island and they retry him. His his return was the first time that he found out any of this shit that had been going on. Yeah, because he was on Devil's, Devil's Island, Island with no nothing contact. He walks into France and he's like, "Oh my God, my nation is divided over me, over my issue. I there are there's factions all over the country. The Tour de France was started over me. Like it was crazy. He had no idea that this has happened. I hope he was a cyclist, <laughs> right? Um, so he had only been gone for four years." But he came back a much different man. Mentally, he was still sane and stable, stable, which is saying a lot. Yeah, for that kind of treatment. I mean, like, at least he wasn't in a cell. Like, that's the only thing he I can think. He had contact with other people and he could go outside. Yes, that's the only thing I can think that would keep me sane is, like, I could be by myself for a long time, even if someone was near me that I didn't always talk to. Yeah. Just that someone was near me and that I was out was able to be outside. Right. But he had white hair. He had malaria. He lost tons of weight. He was just a shell of what he formerly was. So sad. Yeah. So he's just been um, Wait, one thing mistrialed. I, did he have children? I yeah. Didn't, I didn't remember that Yeah, part. he had kids. Wife oh. and kids. Four kids. I think four kids. Yeah. Um, so they started the court-martial again on August 7th, 1899. They still used the same freaking evidence that they did the first time. They used the original letter. That's they so used bogus. all of the same testimony. Even though Henri was dead, they used what Henri said about him in the record. Which was bogus, bogus, Completely. Bogus. Um, he was found guilty. However, the vote was 5-2. He missed acquittal by one vote. But he was freaking found guilty again. Oh, I know. They sentenced him to 10 years. 
They called it guilty with extenuating circumstances. I don't know if it's the time period or the different country, but extenuating circumstances in our judicial system typically means more. Yeah. In this case, it meant less. Okay. So he's guilty, but only five of us think he's guilty, not all seven. Yeah, so there's reasons to believe he might not be guilty. Correct. Yes, but still they sentenced him for 10 years. Um, People are pissed. Zola, who's still in England in exile, writes, the decision, this, the decision is one of ignorance, folly, cruelty, and falsehood. If future generations will shudder when looking at this verdict, after all, Jesus was condemned but once. (gasps) Oh. Zola is like incensed. Yes. That's huge. So um, Francis president sees the writing on the wall and he pardons Dreyfus 10 days later. He says, okay, you're found guilty. You don't have to serve your 10 years. You've done your time. Fine. It was, it was what they did. So he didn't want any scandal. There was the world's fair was coming. They just needed things to be okay. So Dreyfus accepted the pardon, but he vowed to continue to fight to clear his name. On July 12th, 1906, 12 years after his original arrest, he was cleared of all charges. Completely like exonerated cleared or? Ish. Okay. The French high court annulled the second conviction and did not ask for a new trial. So they claimed the second conviction was a mistrial and they did it's not It's kind of like they just declined to, to refi- prosecute. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So the very next day, Parliament reinstated him into the army. The next week, in the exact same courtyard where he, at the military school where he had gone and graduated ninth in his class and been stripped of his rank, he was reinstated in a ceremony with the crowd, instead of saying, death to the traitor, death to the Jew, they were shouting, long live Dreyfus. Um, he worked in the military, retired a year later. Um, Zola died and Dreyfus was part of a ceremony that placed his ashes at the Pantheon, which was a place for honored Frenchmen. But during that ceremony, someone shot Dreyfus. (gasps) Oh, this is just gets worse. It doesn't ever stop for this poor guy. I was like, oh, this is going to be a good ending. Like, he's going to have grandchildren and, like, retire. It doesn't ever stop. Even after he's dead, this poor guy is still being punished. Oh, my God. We'll get to it. So, um, he gets shot. The man who shot him was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He recovered from his shot. Everything was fine. He, during the Great War or World War One, he was re, he re-enlisted and he fought bravely. He saw action. He outlived Esther Housie. Esther Housie died in England, never having returned to France in 1923. He died a pauper. Um, he was just a mess because he was the one who actually did all this crap. Yeah. Um, Dreyfus lived to the age of 75. He died on July 12th, 1935, and he was buried on Bastille Day in a private Jewish cemetery. In the 1990s, they ordered a statue to be made of Dreyfus for the military school courtyard depicting Dreyfus. People protested the statue... And they ended up putting it in the back garden facing a wall. Facing a wall? 
Then, later, the mayor of Paris decided that that was too controversial a place, and they put it in a little tiny park in the middle of the street next to the cemetery where he's buried. That's terrible. Finally, the army declared him innocent completely of all charges in 1995. (gasps) 1995? 1995. That's way, 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 way too long. This poor man was kicked, picked up, kicked again, thrown across the room, and kicked again. And he did nothing but practice the religion, not even very strongly, that he was born into. Well, not only that, he was a good person. He was a good person. He loved his country. He wanted to be a soldier. And they just destroyed him. That's heartbreaking. And in your history class, in your world history class in 10th grade, you will hear three sentences about the Dreyfus Affair. If they don't skip it. Right. So I'm going to tell you about something that's not in any history class in our country anyway. Okay. Is it not as depressing as that story? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So anyway, when I was researching the current affair and current being K-U-R-A-N-T and, Uh you know, affair being affair and trying to relate it to a crime. Which I kind of feel like there would have to be a lot of murders around affairs. There, so there were, but I was trying to like go more literal and like, this is what I found. Okay. So almost all of this information came from one of three articles from the Siberian Times. Okay. Couldn't find- Siberian Times? Yes. Super cool. Couldn't find anything else as far as sources, like nothing on Wikipedia, nothing on Murderpedia, nothing on anything else. It's all from the Siberian Times. Wow. Yeah. But it relates. So, this is the story of Susanna Gubasheva. So, in 1997, a group of offenders, including Susanna, kidnapped two businessmen in Novobirsk, Russia. The men were former fellow students of Susanna's at Novobirsk State University, And they had come to Susanna's flat, and when they got there, they were handcuffed by three masked male accomplices. Okay. I always wanted to have a flat in college. Well, you did. It was an apartment, so. (laughs) But it just sounds more so more sophisticated when it's a flat. Next time I have an apartment, if I ever do, I'm going to call it a flat. Okay. When we're 80. Yeah. So she then forced these two men to have sex with her, and she demanded 21,000 U.S. dollars for not spreading the video and photographs of the encounter. I have a question. How do you force a man to have sex with you? How is that done? Well, I don't know, but there was three other masked men around her. So, force, fear, force I, and fear. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, typically, equipment doesn't work when it's afraid. Well, they made it at least look like it enough to get photos and video. <laughs> So they also stole over 3,000 rubles, $200 in cash, like U.S. dollars, a cell phone, and a sable hat from the men. Why does she have U.S. dollars in her apartment? He did. Well, the businessmen did. They were foreign, so who knows? Yeah. Just, I don't have any foreign, well, yes, I do have foreign currency here, but it's like coins and stuff. Yeah. The businessmen went to the police, and they ended up arresting the whole gang except for Susanna. Oh! So she got away. So she fled to the Black Sea, 
And there she bought a fake passport, and she there she used the name Helena Spiridu, which was a woman from who was a Greek national. Okay. So she basically like stole this woman's stolen identity. Yeah. So she went to the Greek embassy with her new passport, and she got a residency permit, and she fled to Greece. Okay. So, meanwhile, the Novo Spiric police tried to find her, but. She was too devious because they knew that she had an international passport. So they went and asked for Susanna at all these, like, they were like, we're looking for for Susanna in all these different countries. Uh-huh. But all the countries were like, don't have a record of her, don't have a record of her, don't have a record of her. So they realized that she faked something. They didn't know at first, but by the time they realized it, she had already been using this other name. And they yeah. didn't know that, they didn't know what name she was using. Right. So... While she was in Greece, she used her new identity to get citizenship. Okay. So she Is became, it that easy? Like you don't have to be there for a certain number of years? It became it it was easy enough. So she got Greek citizenship. And then in 2001, she moved to Sweden. Swedish vodka. Absolute. Swedish vodka, which we didn't get. Yeah. We're using American vodka. Yes, but we intended to use Swedish vodka. We intended vodka. to use Swedish vodka. So, in 2001, she moved to Sweden, and she was later granted Swedish citizenship. In 2006, she met her future husband, K. Kjell Ake Selberg. I'll just call him Selberg, because I can pronounce that. And he is one of the people that had helped issue her her citizenship. Okay. I wonder what the criteria is for gaining citizenship in some of these European countries. Because I know in the United States, you have to have lived here legally for five years or marry a citizen. I know there's other ways, but it's it's a process. It's not just, hey, I'm here. I want to be a Greek. Well, I wonder too, because so I actually have a coworker who has dual citizenship, U.S. and Swedish. Okay. So her mother was born in Sweden. Uh-huh. Because her mother was Swedish, but she's American, she was able to get Swedish. So you think within her fake identities, she may have been forging documentation for relatives. That's that- that's what I can guess. Right. Because my coworker was not born in Sweden. But her mother was. Her mother was. And so she was granted Swedish citizenship. Like, as a dual citizenship. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. The only thing... Every time I hear Swedish, I always think... Of, even though I have a friend who lives in Sweden, an online friend, but I always think of um, real estate brokers of New York, whatever it's called. Don't know. You don't watch the real estate show on Bravo? I don't have TV. Oh, well, okay. You're so cool. I am just like most Americans. <laughs> so I watched this, the Bravo real estate show with Million Dollar Listings New York and the Swedish guy, Don't Frederick. Know. He's awesome. Is he Frederick or Friedrich? He's, he's Fre- I think it's Frederick. I don't know. He's very, very Swedish. He just had twins with his husband and he does high kicks when he sells a property. <laughs> Well, I'm sure Susanna did that when she got her citizenship. <laughs> Wee! With her high kick. Yes. <laughs> so she met her future husband, Selberg. And at the time that she met him, she had an internet porn business. But he oh. wasn't... Yeah, he wasn't really worried about that. Okay. And she quit when she met him. 
And so she also admitted to him that she had come from Odessa to Greece and that she had used a false document. But again, he wasn't concerned about it because he was, he said that. Not a good dude? No, he actually is a good dude. But he said, and this is the part that I referenced earlier, in the late 90s, that was common practice in the post-Soviet territories because that was the only way they could get out of the Soviet Union. That literally, that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, so that does, that seems very legit. Yeah. So they married, they had a child, a, a daughter. So is she honestly trying to go legit? Partially. Okay. She's hiding. She's hiding out, but she's yeah. also trying to be like a normal hey, person. Hey, let me have a life. Yeah. So, yeah, she had her daughter, and then she made an error. She invited her mother to visit. Jane the Virgin, that's how Petra gets sunk. Oh, yeah, you're right. Her mom shows up. So, Inter- Interpol had been monitoring her mother, Nellie, and they were surprised when Nellie decided to go to Sweden to visit someone named Helena, which was the name that Susanna was using. So they contacted Swedish officials and they asked for a picture. And when they got it, they were like, mm, that's her. Right. So, yeah. The Swedes said that they wouldn't be able to turn her over to the Soviets or the Russians at this, by this time. Because she had already been given Sweden, Swedish citizenship. Uh-huh. And so after that incident, she was under, like, full-time surveillance. Yeah. So, later, she planned a trip to Italy. But when she got to Italy, she was detained by the Italians, but she escaped through a window. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, one of the... one of the, At this point, she's got a kid. Yes. Yes. So, one of the things I saw from her... About her in, in like, the three articles that they had, because I couldn't find anything else in it, English. Yeah, this is the one that you were saying you had a hard time yeah. finding stuff for. Yeah, there was nothing else in English that I could find. But they were calling her, like, the Russian Jason Bourne. Probably, <laughs> pro- and I, I only imagine because she jumped through this window. Because she jumped through the window. Because yeah. she doesn't really seem, I mean, her crimes seem kind of low Yeah, they're not, like... Tech. Yeah, low the, risk. No. It's, she's not James Bond. Yeah. She tried to screw a guy for some money. Uh-huh. And with, along with other people. Right. So. But that's what you did in that time period in Russia because it was a freaking mess. And you had to make money. So, yeah. So, she jumped from the window and then her husband, Selberg, admitted that when she was arrested in Italy, he kind of realized something was wrong, but he convi- but she convinced him that... She was being persecuted because of using her forged documents, and he believed her. Right. So, again, he's on her side. Right. So, then... Well, he's her wife and the mother of her child. Yeah. So, then... He's her wife. He's... She's she's his his wife. Yes. So, then... Pronouns. Yeah. All the pronouns. All the pronouns. So, she comes back to Sweden, and this time she uses another fake identity because she can't be... Helena that she was before. This time it was a Czech and she took the name Maja Current. Oh, look at you. Ding, 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 ding. Look at you connecting stuff. I know. Swedish, Swedish vodka, current, current current flavor. There was an affair-ish. Kind of. It was about sex at least. Yeah. (laughs) So then 
she and hubby began living as a normal family again with their daughter and they even had a normal or a normal they even had another child and this time it was a son and he was conceived using in vitro in vitro fertilization okay so they are not only living a regular life they are going to institutions they're going to doctors they're going to hospitals yeah they're on the grid the proverbial grid they're on the grid and not only that but to get the ivf they went to latvia and it's a shit ton of money yeah so the russians are all this time still hunting for susanna and they find out that she shows up in latvia but the latvians refuse to give her over to them because under latvian law the criminal prosecution that she was wanted for would have expired in latvia Okay, so the statute of limitations would have run out had it been committed in Latvia. And yes. since that's where she was, yes. they said, sorry, dudes. Yes. I like it. I, I, I'm kind of on her side. Mm. I am, but she... She didn't kill anybody, right? No, but she screwed up really bad to begin with. Yeah. So, so Russia was a horrible place Russia, then, though. Russia was a horrible place during that time, yeah. So September 2014, Susanna goes to Spain, and while she was there, she was detained. She was pregnant at the time through the IVF, uh-huh. and the extradition process in Spain was very slow. So while she was there, she gave birth in prison, oh. and she had a boy. His name was Ralph, and eventually she was sent back to Novo Spiric, and Ralph went with her. The whole time, Selberg was never able to see Ralph. So <gasps> That's she, heartbreaking. Yeah. So now there's this whole custody battle where he's trying to get custody of him because even though she's in prison, she's like she was sentenced to five and a half years in the penal colony. She's been allowed to keep Ralph there with him, with her, because that's allowed there. He's an infant. He, yes. He needs boob. Well, yeah. I mean... But he... I'm all for father's rights, but an infant needs boob. I also agree to a point, but her, like, some of the things she said... So they're fighting each other at this point. Yes. It's not him fighting the government because she's imprisoned to try and get the baby released to him. It's him fighting her. Yes. And some of the things that the so father that has claimed that she said indicates that she's really only keeping him there for the preferential treatment that she gets because she has a child while she's in prison. Mm, interesting. But, I mean... And he has the girl. He has the girl, yeah. And she even said that he is not the father, but he took a paternity test and it proved that he's the father. See, it just gets slimy yeah. when you start doing that. Mm-hmm. Whereas he countered back that said, biologically, she's not the mother. She just bore the child. And she call, and he called her a terrible, cruel person. There was a different egg. They used an egg yeah. donor? Yes. Oh, that makes a massive difference as far as legalities-ish. In, maybe in our country, but this is Russia. But so. yeah. I, I mean, typically, when you do those things, you protect against that legally prior to the birth. But I see that legally that's a leg that he can he can use. I think he's trying. I mean, there's a I didn't 
like there's a was a little bit more about the custody battle there wasn't a lot more but um and how old is the baby by this point so the baby was born in 15 so it's 19 now four four year old so they're still fighting over him yeah like now yeah this child was raised in a prison camp up to the last article that i read that's and there was only three so this could be resolved but like i said there was only three in english that i could find so yeah so she was sentenced to five and a half years in 2016 so she's almost out if she's not out by now and the court ruled that the extortion that she plotted with her husband whose name was via shelazov prostov did she ever divorce him it doesn't say but it called her then the then husband so he was considered the mastermind but he is now living beyond the reach of a russian arrest warrant in sweden oh my gosh so she should have just freaking stayed in sweden yeah but if you can't get ivf in sweden if you have to go to latvia you're gonna go where you have to go to get your baby if that's what you want i know but now look where she's at yeah so oh oh, and it did point out the article did say that she had a previous child with her first husband the one that's from sweden Uh so okay so he's probably with that or that child is probably back with dad in in Sweden. sweden now okay but then also baby ralph has never met daddy no He's only ever lived with mommy in this in prison. prison camp. In prison. And he's at least four. Unless things have changed since the last time this article was written, but it's hard for it's hard to tell because literally like nothing else was accomplished. I cannot imagine taking a four-year-old from any world that they have ever known and putting them in a completely in foreign one, whether the person that you're putting them with is related to them or not. I know. That would be a traumatic experience yeah they there was like also a a, um, quote from the dad it was like he has blonde hair he looks like his sister you know like just talking about like of course he's heartbroken because he's never seen her heartbroken yeah that's his baby yeah that he's never met crazy i know so it's sad sad and you know we talked a lot about like child custody issues and things but yeah i was going somewhere with that forget it that's not a good transition <laughs> and all that and pick a different transition it's sad it's super sad both of our stories were sad they were really sad and i don't want to be the sad drink right was now bad sad and bad but again if we picked it it's because we're not experts yes that is not an expert pick right there that is a drunk pick uh-huh we are just drunks drunk. As always, you can contact us on Facebook at Crime and Time OTR. On Instagram, we are Crime and Time OTR. On Twitter, we're at Crime and Time OTR. And our email is crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. Email is where you'll want to where you will want to send us cocktail suggestions, things Topics. you want to learn about. Yeah. yeah. Or just say hi. Or just say hi. And we also have a new Patreon page Yay. if you want to buy us a drink. Buy us a drink. So that is patreon.com slash crime and time otr and we're going to be offering some perks for our patrons absolutely i'm excited see you there thank you for listening